Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics Podcast with Dr. Lance Miller. Each week, we bring you interviews with the top minds in the orthodontic profession in order to heighten your expertise, boost your motivation, and raise your skills. Join us as we help doctors take their practices and their lives to the next level. And now, here's your host, Dr. Lance Miller. Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics Podcast. I'm Lance Miller. I'm glad you're here with us. Got to apologize. We didn't have an episode last week. There were some technical difficulties on my end that precluded me from getting something out there, but I'm glad to be back and to introduce today's guest, Dr. David Butler, who's a good friend of mine. And those who know David uh, know he's a deep thinker with an imperturbable demeanor. And in today's interview, which really turned out great, we talk about reframing obstacles, uh, the mindset that's needed for change and progress, how to foster leadership from your team, and how to make sure you are, in fact, working towards the things that are important to you. Before we get started, I want to take a moment to share a brief thought. One thing that has quickly become apparent to me in my short time as a business owner is the paramount importance of making decisions and taking action. For many of us, this runs counter to our nature and our training. As dentists and orthodontists, we've been rewarded in our educational careers for careful and meticulous work. We know how to research a problem and consider every angle and possible objection. We like to be right and hate to admit to our patients, our team, and especially ourselves that we were wrong. However, in the real world, decisions need to be made in situations where we have incomplete information or where there's not enough time to do an exhaustive analysis. For some, this can be an extremely uncomfortable feeling. In fact, even more dangerous are situations where there's no immediate pressure for you to act, but that false sense of time and space leaves you unprepared for changes in the industry or in your marketplace and keeps you from achieving your goals. So I would encourage you to remember that in your clinical practice and your business, you need to foster a bias towards action. Taking action and setting your plan in motion is the most important part of achieving your goals. No amount of preparation, research, or asking your colleagues for advice will get you closer to where you want to be. Many of us hide out in the exploration phase, procrastinating and suffering from paralysis by analysis. An author and business coach I hope to get on the podcast in the future is writing a book called Bad Plans Carried Out Violently. How Real People Lead and Succeed in the Real World. I love that title, and I can't wait for the book. The beauty of putting your plan into motion is that you can always adjust or pivot as you go along. Even if you fail, you've learned something and can start again. The key is to begin. Take the first step. Swing the bat. Be a person of action. I'm not advocating for you to be reckless or careless. Be thoughtful and wise in your approach to decision-making. Don't start dozens of projects and leave them unfinished, which is just another version of indecisiveness. I have friends who joke that their mantra is, ready, fire, aim. They encourage this attitude because they recognize that their biggest threat is inaction. They don't mind failing occasionally if the overall trend is up and if they are moving closer to their goals. My challenge for you this week is to pick one project or decision you've been wavering on and take action. Let me know how it goes. All right, let's get on to the interview. Dr. David Butler attended dental school at the Oregon Health and Science University School of Dentistry, where he graduated with honors. He then went on to complete his orthodontic training at the University of Louisville. 
After graduating, Dr. Butler practiced in Texas and is now a partner at Parkinson Butler Orthodontics in the Tri-Cities area of Washington. He's married with six children, three girls and three boys. He's an avid golfer and outdoorsman and enjoys camping, fishing, and nature photography. Dr. Butler is the founder of Orthodontic Exchange, a regionally exclusive online study group, and has been featured on the cover of the Progressive Orthodontist magazine. I've known Dave for almost 20 years, going back to a Mormon mission we did together in the Netherlands in the late 90s. Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast, Dr. Butler. Hey, thanks, Lance. Uh, I should say, goeiemiddag. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, I don't know how rusty your Dutch is, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, ik yes. ben nooit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> spreek je nog Nederlands? Nog een beetje, mijn moeder kan nog steeds een beetje Nederlands spreken. Dus. <laughs> yeah, you've got that yeah. family connection, so you've got a little I bit do. of a built-in opportunity to practice. But uh, Exactly. Yeah. Good. Well, we tried to record this on Father's Day last week. We had some technical difficulties, which perhaps was the universe telling us to spend more time with our families. Uh, yeah. I don't know, but this is round two, and it seems like we're doing better. Yeah, I think my wife was probably in the house uh, turning on and off the, the Wi-Fi to try to jack up the, the interview. So Exactly. Good, good. Well, I, I'm glad you're here. Uh, I want to start by talking a little bit about uh, the Orthodontic Exchange Study Group, which uh, you started and which was one of the first, if not the first, uh, orthodontic Facebook groups. Tell our audience a little bit what the impetus was for starting Orthodontic Exchange. Sure. Yeah. So basically, when I was in residency, uh, just about to graduate, there was a orthodontist in town, uh, Dr. Paul Tran. And he was a, had a fantastic practice out there and just always seemed to have just amazing ideas and was on top of the latest and greatest. As I got to know him more and his practice more, uh, I learned about the group called Sh Shulman Study Group, which I think most people are familiar with. And it kind of cued me in on the, the realization of the, the power of having a network to be able to communicate with one another um, and feel comfortable with people that you know in the group to to just share your best ideas. And that's kind of where a lot of, I think, the success he was finding was him being able to not only share his great ideas with others, but finding that same thing from from other people as well. Uh, so I decided, hey, as we're graduating, keep in touch with my co-residents, get in touch with my friends from dental school and other people from other residencies. I was somewhat familiar with the the model of the Facebook group concept. And I felt like it would be a better medium when it came down to it than what any other study group was using, which was kind of an email listserv uh, where you just get this long chain of emails and reply alls. And it was very cumbersome um, where the, the Facebook group seemed very set up well to, to be able to, for all of us to keep in touch. And it really started off as... Uh, no way did I envision for anything to turn out for my group or just orthodontics in general to go where it's gone. Because you're right, whenever I started this, there this didn't exist in the orthodontic realm, besides maybe some group called Orthodontics, which had like 10,000 members with a bunch of bots that were posting about, I think, China brackets and stuff. But an actual, an actual study group where people were openly exchanging ideas just did not exist. And so it's been crazy to watch it just explode to what it's become today. Yeah. Um, what would you say are, are the goals that you have for orthodontic exchange you know, presently? What, what has it kind of evolved into? Ultimately, the, the goal has not really ever changed. For me, I'm never one to put my blinders on and have some long-term vision and try to stick to that because things are always changing around me. I, I, I play chess. And so 
if I just kind of came up with what my steps were going to be and ignore kind of what is going on around me, it's pretty hard to play chess that way. So it's constantly adapting, but ultimately it's more of a big picture goal, which is to create an environment that the value for all the members, selfishly myself included, um, being a member of that group, uh, is worth the time being spent on it. And so it's just a, a safe place for everybody to come and really have it be a, there's a social aspect to it. I mean, a lot of the members, uh, I think a, a majority of the members have been members of that group now for, I think, over four years. And it's being the long, longest running group out there uh, has that benefit. I mean, it's got over four years worth of discussions that we've been having and uh, can search those. And so going forward, it's just continuing to have it be, um, it's that fine balance because you got you to gotta keep it fresh and get new discussions, but it's almost like a marriage where everything's new and exciting in the beginning. And then you get to know each other well enough that, that you almost don't have to say every little thing because you already know what's going on. And it's just there as a support network for everybody. It's been, it's been interesting with all the new groups popping up, uh, which are fantastic uh, in the sense that there's a lot of fresh ideas and, and voices out there. But it also becomes difficult because it, it fragments a lot of the, the, the time being spent. And time is, uh, for me, uh, probably the most important thing. Yeah. You know, like you say, there's pros and cons. I mean, I think it's great that there are opportunities now. I mean, some people, because Orthodox Exchange and other groups are geographically exclusive, maybe they're, they're prohibited from those groups. So I think there's, there's op- other opportunities for people to connect. I think that the medium uh, really does work and lend itself to, to good discussions. And for me, it's just been incredibly valuable to, to kind of connect with people, to share my ideas, just like you say, to share my, my failures and my successes. Uh, you know, I've, I've really uh, enjoyed that. You know, one thing that I think is interesting uh, about this kind of new era of communication and orthodontists trying to connect with each other online is that, you know, we do have to be a little bit careful of who we listen to. You know, we've got the possibility of listening, I suppose, to the wrong voices, or maybe finding ourselves in an echo chamber where we're reinforcing each other and, you know, our confirmation bias is really running wild. What, what advice would you have on how we can make sure we're exposed to different mindsets and different ideas? Yeah, that's, um, that's spot on. Um, I was thinking about that just the other day when it comes to these groups of you do, you want to, you want to get a balance of both. You want to find that voice and that, um, I guess, circle of friends that hold similar values, if you will, to you and what your ultimate long-term goal and outlook in life is. But you want a diversity of people in that and how they're getting to that point so that you aren't just all, like you said, sharing the exact same ideas, not realizing that the world has changed and, and you're in your own little world. And that, and that is one of the benefits of, of there being so many different groups is every single one has its own flavor. Uh, and, and even the ones that seem to have kind of a, a little bit of a negative Nancy vibe to them, I think, have their own value. Because if you can just put that filter on of, okay, here's, here's the general vibe, let, let's peel that layer back. What's the underlying information that can be taken away um, I think it's still worth checking into. And it's almost like a gut check, if you will. But then you definitely don't want to necessarily spend the majority of your time. Like they say, you're you're the average of the five people you hang out with the most. And I think that's just as true online in these groups and in general is uh, you need to make sure that look look at the people that you're interacting with and look at their lives and look at who they are and see if that's who you want to be as well. Yeah, great. 
Well, tell our listeners a little bit about uh, yourself, about how you came to arrive uh, in your current situation since you finished your residency at Louisville and, and a little bit about your practice today. Yeah, so um, born and raised in Texas and Louisiana, and then basically my whole life I've moved every four or five years, dental school in OHSU, which is in Portland, Oregon, which is at that time when we moved there, my wife's parents were moving there at the same time, and so it was, it was nice to be close to family up there. Then after that, went to, to residency in Louisville, loved it out there. It was my number one choice when I went out and interviewed out there and looked for an opportunity while I was in residency. I think went through the same process that unless people already had something in their hometown. Um, moving around so much in my life, I didn't really have a hometown to go to. My parents moved to Utah while I was um, away. So after I graduated from high school, so I was open to almost anywhere, really, um, ideally being more out west so I could be closer with, by that point in time, um, five kids. Uh, we knew we weren't going to be flying too much. And <laughs> so we wanted to be within a day's drive of family so we could still see them. And, and so we were hoping to be out west. And the majority of kind of that, I don't know about you, but just I just sent bulk letters out everywhere. And it's funny because I got mostly just no responses and what few responses I got were usually doomsday responses. Um, <laughs> yeah. The nervous Nellie's the totally, I got one. Yeah. And I got one from a doctor in Boise that said, um, of course in the, in totally in my best interest, it was very nice of him. He no, he had no problem if I came out there, but just so I know it's really, really bad there. And, um, that starting my practice there would be disastrous at best, I think was word for word what he said. (laughs) So, um, I kind of basically had a, one of those, uh, was it Venn diagrams in my mind of the three circles overlapping and where it's, uh, you know, financial success of the practice and the place being an enjoyable place and a fun place to live and then it, the place being a good family place uh, for my family and and throwing in there being close to our immediate family with grandparents and everything. And obviously, in the, in the realm of orthodontics, I don't know if there's really anywhere that all three of those overlap. And because if it's, if it's family friendly and an awesome place, most likely there's going to be a ton of orthodontists there. And so the finances aren't going to be great, um, or at least it's going to be a lot more competitive to get to there. So not really being ready to settle down on what opportunities I was seeing. Uh, Chris Benson had reached out to me and said, Hey, don't know if you found anything, but if you're thinking at all about doing an associateship, you got to look into this practice down in Texas. Um, uh, with this guy named Scott law, he's got an amazing practice down there. You'll learn a ton. And he's, he's just, you know, you won't find anything like it. And I'm like, okay, sure. Yeah. Yeah. As residents, you don't know what you don't know. I had never heard of Scott Law or anything, you know, you're like, I don't know who this guy is. And so I looked more into it and went out there, took a look at the practice and it was instantly kind of an amazing, wow, yeah, I could learn a ton here. So it was, yeah, so went down there and I I cannot imagine what life would be like now if I hadn't have done that associateship down there. I mean, it was... What do you feel like you gained from that associateship? What were the kind of the the big takeaways? I, I, I feel like I learned in probably the first month more than I learned in my two years of residency when it comes to, I mean, just the volume of, of patients being able to see and, you know, killing sacred cows left and right of what you're told in residency that you can't do. And then you're, you're seeing, oh, you can start elastics on a light 
uh, Nitai wire. They're not going to die if you, you know, don't wait until stainless steels. And, and, and probably more than just the clinical side of things is the, on the business side of things, the customer service. Some people may not know Scott Law or his practice, but the very, very smart business uh, person, he and his wife, and they recognize that customer service is where it's all about. You know, obviously you need to be clinically competent and deliver a good result. But what really differentiates you as a practice is going to be the experience that they have and the customer service that they get. And there's, in my mind, in all the practices I've I've visited, they're second to none. And so, but it's so much of it's intangible that you almost just have to be there and just soak it in because you can say words, but it's not really innate. So for me to be able to spend a year and a half there was unbelievable externship, if you will, uh, that I oftentimes I'm responding in certain situations. It's almost like how we speak English, right? We don't think about why we say what we say. It just is kind of innate. I think I was there long enough. Just a lot of those things just kind of became innate. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I'd love to get Scott on the podcast uh, sometime. Maybe oh, you can be, uh, set me up absolutely. with an introduction. Be, he would be all over it. That would be great. So, okay. So you finished up in Texas and, and then what? Yeah. So while I was down there, um, my parents had come out for... A holiday, I think it was Thanksgiving or something, and I noticed even that my my dad was um, a little bit slower, if you will, and uh, I kind of recognized for some reason just a little bit of signs and told him he should go see the the doctor, and uh, he got diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, and so when that happened, the the time frame really shortened him how much time I had to get back to closer to family for my kids to be able to see see my parents and, and have memories of them um, in a fairly normal functioning state. Um, and so the, yeah, I was talking with my wife and everything. We were just wondering, okay, what, what does the future hold? You know, I'm an associate right now. Scott and I would, would talk about long-term plans and opening up new practices or, or whatnot, but nothing was really concrete and, there was really no timeline. And so just pondering on things, just, uh, you know, as a religious person would say, prayers were answered. Um, I very, very shortly after my dad got that diagnosis, got an, uh, an email, I believe it was from Dr. Parkinson, ironically, uh, in, in Tri-Cities saying, hey, I got your letter while I was in residency, didn't have anything at the time, but uh, kind of held on to it. And I and, uh, think we may have something here as an opportunity. And so, and I was like, Oh, I guess I sent a letter to tri cities. Where's that? <laughs> I, I, you know, I was sending them everywhere and looked at it and, you know, talked with them and it kind of morphed into right out the gate. I, I came out and bought in 50, 50 right off the bat. So when you joined the practice, what, what was that like going from being an associate to being an owner? You know, what were, were there things that um, you had had to adjust to in that new role? I really don't feel like there was much of an adjustment for me. I've never, I don't like it when my staff call me boss. They know that. I just see myself as a team member with a different role. And so it was, I don't feel like I really behaved any differently when I came on board um, the practice. And, and that was a little bit of a, I don't know if it was difficult is the right word, but not even confusing, but it was just, it was weird for the staff for me to be there and not really behave like a, a quote unquote doctor, right? Or the boss. 
I mean, that gets a little bit into the the leader leader mentality that that I had, where I I just I've never been one to feel like I the best ideas come from me, right? And so yeah. I, I come up with great ideas, and I I love sharing them, and and I love to discuss with somebody, let's say one of my staff members, if I have an idea and they have an idea, let's figure out what the what idea works. But at the end of the day, it's whatever whatever seems to be best goes. And so it was weird for the staff members to have me be there and say, what do you think you should do? Instead of just coming up with all the answers myself. And it's selfishly, it's because it frees me from the burden of having to be the one with all the answers. And usually they know better than I do what a good way to do it is. And I can give them then some perspective on my side of things of, of whether it's with customer service or with the finances of the practice factoring those things in to what they're thinking about. But ultimately, I, I really try to have them be the owner of the idea because if it's their idea, they're so much more likely to to follow through on it um, and take ownership of it, make sure that it comes to, to fruition. Yeah, that's a hard transition, I think, for some people to make. You know, this, the traditional role is, you know, the staff obviously brings you all the problems and you are the omniscient doctor who has all of the answers. But I think that, like you said, you don't get the best solutions and it just increases your stress tremendously. You know, how, how do you go from, from one mindset to the other? Oh, well, I don't know if I ever had the other mindset. So it's tough for me to, I mean, the thing is, is we are, we are so blinded or slowed down by these preconceived barriers of of change where it's like, oh, that's difficult to go from being the person with all the ideas to accepting other people's ideas. And it's not. I mean, it's if you think it is, it is. But if you just decide, oh, I'm just going to not be that person, then if you believe that, then that's going to be the case. And so, uh, I mean, maybe that's too, I don't know if Zen's the right word, but it really is just, do you do same day starts? Yep. Yeah. And so, so many people, when they first hear that idea, they've got a thousand questions about scheduling and, and staffing and patients and finance and do you do this and do that? And it's just do it, right? And you yeah. you yeah. artificially make it difficult and just do it and you'll find that it's not as difficult as you think. It's the same thing with this. The next time your staff member comes to you with a problem, you know, catch me if you can it. Say, what do you think we should do? Right? The movie, Catch Me If You Can. Right? He had no clue what he was doing. As, as he was a medical doctor for quite some time. And he'd just, anytime somebody asked him something, he would at, respond with, what do you think we should do? And then what would he say? Have you seen the movie? Uh, I have, but I don't recall. So his, his response would be, I concur, right? They'd finally come up with some answer. He'd be like, I, I concur. Yep, that's what we should do. And so <laughs> to, to enable your staff to come up with the, it'll, it'll throw them off big time and they will panic. And it might be because at some point in time, they have come to them with an idea and the staff or the doctor probably just crapped on the idea or the the doctor let them do the idea and it failed and he got pissed off. He or she got really upset about it. And so I, I think the the two keys there are let them come up with an idea, talk with them about it if they want, but ultimately have them decide what the idea is and then let them run with it. And if it fails... Talk about why it failed. Be very objective. 
the the phrase I use is I use this with staff members if they come to me and mention anybody's name, you know, uh, I'm like, well, hold on, okay. We address problems, not people. We attack problems, not people. Let's let's get to the problem here. What part of the system failed, and let's let's tweak it. Let's try it again, and it's like an experiment. And so, um, if if they give an idea of a solution and it doesn't work, unless it put a patient in danger or had the ability to completely bury your practice, don't flip out or else they will never, ever want to come up. Even if you ask them what their idea is, they will play it safe. They will not come up with a good idea because they are, will live in fear of getting in trouble again. So I, I think it's just it, the book. A lot of this comes from is, is the, uh, turn the ship around book. Um, and I forget the name of the author, but it, it's the leader leader approach of things and, and really just empowering team members to, to take responsibility and become a leader of, of their own realm. I think that's uh, David Marquette, turn the ship around. Yeah. yeah. For, for our listeners. Um, so growing up, you mentioned you, you moved around a lot. You kind of were bouncing from place to place. I'm wondering if you had any jobs or experiences that helped you prepare for being an entrepreneur or the owner of an orthodontic practice. Moving around a lot helped because I was, I was never just in a groove, if you will, because every four or five years, it was moving to a brand new place having to make brand new friends and getting used to a brand new environment, brand new home and constantly having to adapt to change. And so I think that, that that allowed me to be somewhat, somewhat of a social chameleon and be able to, to change my personality and how I talk and I can kind of get along and, and make quick friends with anybody. And so just out of survival, I've had to kind of develop that skill, I guess. And so I think that definitely helps both in how I view, I guess, I, I don't want to say just orthodontics, but just my path in life, because ultimately orthodontics is just my current path to getting to what I'm ultimately after, which I guess is happiness for me and my family, right? And right. so uh, if something else comes up that is a better way to get there, then I will pivot and change and adapt and, and go that direction. Um, and so I, I think learning to not get too stuck in one mode or destination or a path, basically, that I think is the right way to go and then just put my head down onto that path. Recognizing early on that, that no things are permanent, I think kind of helps me with entrepreneurship of being willing to keep my eyes up and watch for change and, and not be too stubborn that my way is the right way. Sure. For many orthodontists starting out uh, at the beginning of their career, I think there is a lot of fear. There's fear of the unknown. There's fear because there's all this debt that they're carrying. Uh, there's fear that we don't compare well to our colleagues. You know, we see the superstars out there and we, we're not like them or our practice isn't like theirs. You, you had recommended to me uh, the book, The Obstacle is the Way, which is also mm -hmm. a favorite of people like Tim Ferriss and, and those sorts of people. I guess my question is what, what advice would you have for someone who sees all of these obstacles and feels kind of paralyzed or overwhelmed by them? Um, meditate, uh, definitely, I would say, is a, a huge skill to be able to develop the ability to kind of turn that inner voice off in those moments, reboot the system. And I, I mean, ultimately, when I start having those 
feelings arise, I basically ask myself, is this helpful? And sometimes it is. And not just always happiness, but sometimes a, a feeling of fear is helpful. It motivates you. Not that you have to have fear to be motivated, but it is a natural motivator to get out of the position that you're in. But if it's, if it's something that is completely out of your control, then you have to ask yourself, does this help? And if it doesn't, then turn it off, right? Turn that, turn that voice off on it. And, and that just comes with practice. Uh, and so the key there is if you're feeling fearful about something, look at what you're fearful about dissect it down into what do I have control over to make this fear go away and what do I not? And those things that you don't, forget about it. And and it really is as easy or hard to forget about it as you have decided that it is. And, And those things that you are in control over, do something about it. Because ultimately, another quote, and I don't remember where this one's from, but it's basically... Before anything is going to happen, you have to want to change more than you want to stay the same. And so if if you're sitting here fearful and worried and wish that such and such wasn't so and so, and it really is something you could change, if it hasn't, then you, you got to dig down inside and realize that something there, you still would rather be in your current situation than where you see the change will take you because otherwise you would have started changing already. So um, I think it's just an appreciation for recognizing what you can and can't change and quit talking about it and start doing something about it. Yeah, I think it's tricky when something shows up on your radar and you kind of immediately identify it as a threat. Uh, Sometimes that happens almost before your conscious mind even kicks in. Like you, you sense something and your subconscious labels it immediately as a threat. And I think it's difficult to take that and, and turn it from, you know, as this you know, obstacle is away, turning it from an mm-hmm. obstacle into an opportunity. Yeah, you know, I would, I would say <laughs> it is if you think it is, right? That it's, if you think it's going to be difficult, you're, you're going to have a difficulty uh, or have a difficult time with it. But if you just recognize it's, it's as easy as, as you want to make it, just look at the threats. And it's fine if you see it as a threat, right? Again, if that, if that feeling about seeing it as a threat motivates you to do something about that threat and not just sit there and complain about it, it's right. It's like the who moved my cheese little parable. Then there's nothing wrong with seeing it as a threat, but just getting upset at the threat doesn't help anything or vilifying it doesn't help anything, but looking at it objectively, find out, okay, where's an opportunity in this for me? And, and really a good example of this would be like smile direct club. And so it's you could look at it as a, a doomsday, the end of orthodontics, or you could see it as a change in orthodontics. So some people say, in my, in my mind, they seem to think, well, orthodontics is a very static definition of what we do. And in that sense, I would say Invisalign and, well, if we go, if we take that definition back, then bonding brackets to teeth rather than banding everything was the death of orthodontics. And so things are changing. And it's absolutely true that that Smile Direct Club and Invisalign and those types of advances in, in how we interact with our patients and how we treat our patients is the death of orthodontics as we know it today. But that doesn't mean that it's a death of orthodontists and what we do. And so for us to, if, 
if we've decided what I do today is what I'm meant to do, and if something takes that away, then orthodontics is destroyed, then that person's going to find themselves unhappy later. But if we look at it as an opportunity to, you know, where's this opportunity? And, and when we realize that there are, this is opening a marketplace for a ton more people, it is getting a ton more interest in general from the adult population of wanting to straighten their teeth. There's options out there. And it's amazing how many of those people that are suddenly becoming interested in it, where they weren't even before, wouldn't qualify or don't want to do the Smile Direct Club. And this has spurred them to walk into an orthodontic office. So the opportunity is, is way bigger than any kind of threat, if you will. And so I think it's just a matter of how we, how we look at it. And we got to realize that some things just are what they are. And no matter how much we, we hate them, they're not going to go away. And, and basically the adage is, um, if you can't beat them, join them. But I, I think it's one of those, there's two other options there, which is learn to coexist or lose, right? Um, and you got to realize that if you don't do anything, that lose option is very much likely a, a possibility. Yeah. Or I'm thinking of your uh, orthodontist in Boise who, you know, sent you the letter and said you'd be, you know, what, what was it? Yeah. Disastrous, disastrous at best. At best. That was the best, best case scenario. Disastrous. Yeah. You know, that's a good example of this, though, that, you know, he obviously immediately identified you coming to town as being a threat. But but maybe you come to town and, you know, that spurs him into action and gets him to up his game and revitalizes his practice. It's, you know, I think sometimes the initial reaction we have to something is not the correct or the accurate one and that there is opportunity kind of hidden in amongst those things that get us so nervous. Yeah, I was going to say along those lines of, again, when it comes to the very much overused phrase these days of abundancy versus scarcity, I think there is a abundancy versus scarcity opportunity or or way to look at choice right and and so oftentimes we're faced with a a situation and we think that there is a very limited number of options of what we could do where if we could have a mentality to realize that there's an infinite number of ways that we could or how something could play out if you will i think we'd be a lot more open to um, keeping our eyes up and and not being so quick to dismiss or uh, kick against something that's coming our way. Yeah. Uh, we talked a little bit before the interview started about reconciling kind of what we're doing on a daily basis between what we ultimately want in the long term. And I guess tell our listeners a little bit about keeping in sync our, our kind of our long term vision with our daily tasks, I suppose. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I guess I, I touched on it a little bit. So I, I work two days a week in my practice. And so I, me and my partner, we have a practice that's four days a week. And he works two days a week and I work two days a week. And, you know, it's, it's amazing how often I, I talk to people that, that hear that and they're like, oh, man, that would be great. I wish I had that. I'm like, why don't you? And, and then the, the excuses start coming out, right? Of this, that or the other. <laughs> You know, I need to work more. Why? Well, I need to make more money. Why? Um, let's say a, a normal, quote unquote, normal, let's say middle class lifestyle. Most people are doing far above that. And so besides those that are maybe just still starting out and needing to, to really ramp things up, I, I think a lot of people get caught in that wheel. Like you said, you, it, it's kind of one of the drawbacks of, of these study groups because sometimes it makes you feel like you're never doing enough. And so recognizing what 
why are you doing this to begin with? And it's amazing as I keep asking the why, I keep asking the why, they'll get to the end and it's, well, I'm, I'm doing this for my family. But the original complaint was that they don't have enough time to spend with their family. And, and so they're, they're opposites of each other. And so it's like, and also they kind of get that moment where like, uh, yeah, okay. But then the excuses again start coming out of why it would be difficult to do it. And, and so that goes back to the, the quote of, you got to want to change more than you, than you want to stay the same. You got to look at really there's something else there as to why you're, you're spending the time you're spending doing what you're doing. Um, yeah. And if you don't feel like it's for the right reason, you need to figure out what your reasons are. We don't really spend that much time, for the most part, asking ourselves the why. We've got we great answers on like the how we're going to do something or what we're going to do or who we're going to do it to or when we're going to do it. But like we, we don't stop and think very much about, you know, why is this or what is it that we really want in the long term? And I, and I think that kind of gets us going on that treadmill. It's because forever ago, Lance, when did you decide you wanted to be an orthodontist? It was in dental school. I, uh, you know, I, I okay. Think. When did you decide you wanted to? When did you decide you wanted to go into dental school? In, in college, and then I, I wanted to go to medical school first, and then I realized okay. dental was a better option, and so I decided to go to dental school. In, and, and in what way? Oh. Why did you feel like dental school was a better option for what? Uh, I just, I, I, the dentist seemed happier than the doctors did. Uh, all the doctors I talked with seemed uh, very upset with their profession. The dentist seemed happy with their profession. And, uh, you know, at the time I was dating my, my, uh, wife and I thought, boy, there's going to be more to my life here than just my career. So I should pick something that is a little bit more family friendly. Perfect. And so, you know, you, you have the, the good example of you've progressed as you've been going down you didn't, at the age of six, put blinders on and decided, I wanted to be a medical doctor and I'm never going to change from that. As you went through it, you kept your eyes up on what you ultimately wanted, right? And right. as you saw signs that something else was going to get you there, possibly either sooner or in a less stressful manner or safer or, or whatever, you were willing to pivot and change in, in that. And that's kind of the point that I'm making is, we need to ask ourselves constantly, even when we get to where we think, quote unquote, we want to be, if we really feel like, hey, this is where we're at. This is, I've, I've got the time that I want. I've, what I'm after is, is time to spend with my family and, and joy. And my life is joyous and I've got time with my family. Even then, you need to constantly be keeping your eye up to make sure that, that something's not on the horizon that's going to dramatically change that. Or there's some other opportunity, once again, to give you even more joy and more time. And maybe other people, that's not what they're after. But at least for, for my example, that's what I'm after. And so, you know, for me, I had that realization that, sure, we could, we had an opportunity to, to double our time and, and get more money, but that's not what I wanted. And so I would much rather make less money and, and have still plenty of, of money and have more time with the family. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you, you sent me over like your carpooling schedule or something. It seems like you, you're, you got plenty, uh, <laughs> plenty on your plate here with the six kids going all over the place. And that's, you know, and that's, that's my next thing that I really just need to, to continue to work on is even though I've got a ton of free time, it's amazing how at the end of the day, you can look back and be like, what, what in the heck did the time get spent being done? Um, and that's, that's my current challenge of, of being effective with my time and very deliberate with it and very deliberate with not spending my time being busy 
And it's very easy with six kids to get consumed by the business of it and not the relationship side of it. And so I, I need to renew my, my, uh, I guess <laughs> my vows, if you will, with the, the art of delegation and handing things off to people to do things. So you, you had a podcast, I think it was with Kyle where you talked about that with, with mowing the lawn. I mow yeah. my own lawn. I mow my own lawn, but that's because I enjoy it. Um, but yeah, just handing things off and being willing to, to let go of stuff in my life. Like I have done in the practice when it comes to handing things off to people. So, yeah. What about uh, driverless cars? You think at some point you're going to just send your kids all off to their activities in driverless cars and then you'll just sit back and, and relax? Yeah, that would be nice, right? <laughs> or, or I wish we could go back that's to the your, old days. That's your, that's like your utopia slash dystopia, right? Well, we we had that back in the day. It was called bicycles, right? Where we could just yeah, let our eight year old hop on a bike and go somewhere. Apparently, we can't do that these days. That's so. right. That's right. Good. We're going to jump here into this express eight questions. Here, we're going to do a quick back and forth. We're going to uh, run through these eight questions, and then we'll wrap things up. Dave, what's your go to treatment for full step class twos? Either a functional, we use Herbst appliances. I'm excited for the the Invisalign uh, Class 2 that's coming out at the beginning of the year. That could become my new go-to. I treat a lot of teen Invisalign cases, and uh, I'm excited about that one. For adults, it's going to be rubber bands um, or leave them with Overjet. Right. They don't want to do surgery. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, What's your standard retention protocol? Uh, Lower bonded 3 to 3. And uh, upper Essex, uh, if they had significant crowding up top or a diastema, we'd do an upper bond of two to two. Cool. Who are your role models, mentors, or, or confidants? So uh, Scott Scott Law was a, a fantastic mentor to me um, as an example of, again, uh, how to be a great business person and focus on customer service. Cole Johnson is a, is a very close friend of mine. We met in dental school and have stayed very close ever since. And and he's a person that I am constantly reaching out to and and talking to about whether it's with staffing or just life in general. We we had a lot of times in dental school where we would talk pretty deep on on life issues. And so he's a very close friend of mine. Awesome. What's your favorite orthodontic product or instrument? I've really fallen in love with Invisalign in the last year or so. Um, I, I in residency, I recognize that that's going to be. You know, this next generation, when it comes to just, I guess, clear aligners, if you will, um, the next generation will, we will look back and say, back in my day, we had to bond these metal things to our teeth. Just like, um, you know, the old generation now says back in the day, they needed to have bands around all of their teeth. Um, the product is only, clear aligners is, as a product is only going to get better. And really, for me, when I think about it, you're not just pushing on one little point on the facial side of a tooth, but the fact that you can completely push on all sides of the teeth ultimately should give you more control. And I think that will just get better. Cool. What's the best vacation you've ever taken? Two summers ago, went back to Holland. Um, My parents were on a mission over there and we went over and visited them. Just my wife and I and my my brother went out and visited them. And it's always great to get back over there and and see family and some areas that... uh, we're familiar from the mission. And uh, it was crazy because my wife and I almost on a whim saw kind of a, a spot in the schedule while we were over there and decided just the two of us to to hop on a train and go to Paris for for two days. You know, Europe is so much smaller than we realize. And 
to, to be able to just make on a whim a decision to get on a train and three hours later you're in Paris and on the way there I pulled up like hotels.com and found a place just a few blocks away from the Eiffel Tower was was pretty surreal and it was pretty awesome. That's awesome. What's one great book that you've read recently? Um, I'm really enjoying a, a book called uh, Joy on Demand. It's very much kind of almost an amalgamation of some mindfulness meditation along with obstacle is the way kind of mindsets of of finding joy in the in the journey and where you're at rather than constantly trying to create it. A great quote that I got the other day from it was um, that that wealth is a personality multiplier and that you know when you find success it's not going to suddenly bring the happiness you're after it's just going to multiply whatever emotions you currently feel so it's been right. a good book cool what bracket system are you currently using um we use just your bread and butter twin 022 uh mbt prescription cool what's one area of orthodontics that you want to learn more about in 2017 uh for me i just want to continue to be able to dial in my my clear liner techniques I want to get better at wrapping my head around what my options are for in-house aligners and being able to kind of control those cases better. Uh, I think in-house printing and the options for software to be able to kind of kick back um, printed models back to you. You know, ultimately, it's, we're not far away from some software that I think you, you do your scan and the next day with very little input, probably from just a lab tech, um, and maybe a quick check from the ClinCheck. When you hit print, you'll come back the next day and the, the models are there. And and probably not too much further than that, just the, the aligners are there once they can get the printing aligners directly. So the the one the one difficulty is um, you know, attachments are very important so far anyway when it comes to moving teeth. And so I'm looking at trying to figure out ways that I can I can still utilize that concept um in that realm. Cool. Cool. Well, David, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. This has been a blast. Uh, I'm excited for people to, to get this information. Uh, if they have any questions for you or they want to reach out to you, just uh, Facebook, is that the best way? Facebook for sure. Um, or my email address is uh, D as in David, uh, Butler, DMD, like Diet Mountain Dew at uh, gmail.com. So they can shoot me an email there as well. And uh, no, it's been a blast, Lance. It, it is so awesome that you've been doing this. Um, I'm pretty proud of you. It's pretty cool to, to see how, the, how times have changed and, and we've come full circle and we're back together again. Great. Well, well, thanks a lot. Have a great night. Talk to you later, Dave. Thanks, Lance. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast. For more episodes, subscribe on iTunes or visit our website at elevateorthopodcast.com. Tune in next week for another great episode.